Hello, podcast world. Welcome to Vicarious Living, a show about a couple Midwest dudes breaking down all the beauty that is teen drama TV. their only prayer. There's a thing called talent. They don't have it. God, maybe you could help them win a little. I'd really, really like a family. Ben Williams makes a miraculous catch. Two angels came out of the sky and they picked up Ben Williams. Great, a psycho kid. Yes! Real angels. I know it sounds crazy. I'm relieving you of your management responsibility. Somewhere between losing hope and finding the courage, they gave the world something to believe in. I got nothing left. I got an angel with you right now. Disney's Angels in the Outfield. Welcome to Vicarious Living. Welcome back to the podcast unbelievable reminisce back to childhood as we go all the way back to 1994 on tonight's pod gearing up for opening day 2021 coming up this week not a huge baseball fan but the guest who's calling in tonight is the biggest baseball fan in the entire world she loves the game Real quick, though, because she's going to be calling in from the West Coast, we got to do some housekeeping. So contact information, vicariouslivingpod at gmail.com and vicariouslivingpodcast on the Instagram. Go there, kids, for all of our swag situations. Okay. This evening's guest, she eats, sleeps, and breathes Joseph Gordon-Levitt. From 500 Days of Summer to Inception to even Don John and Looper, this girl never gets her JGL fill. Our favorite Midwest kid living in the real-life city of angels, Michelle M. I'm good. God, yeah. you, you're like what? Fresh off of work? Yeah. I've been working like a lot, but hopefully eventually it'll be better. Promotions always sound so good on paper and then you get them and you're like, oh, fuck. It's like more money, but also way more responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, would I rather just have my job that I knew how to do with my eyes closed and was really like, it was easy, but make less money, I guess. So I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Can they just pay me more, but not expect anything else out of me? I know. And you're, and you're in LA where it's just like grind is so real. LA is funny because it's like the people who work like a traditional nine to five are grinding, but half 
the people who live here are like are it's a gig economy so like their just schedules are totally different so yeah all right you ready to dive into this shit yeah did you uh, watch yeah yeah well so i watched the reason why when you texted me too i couldn't join because i was like on the last 30 minutes of it because i try and like one, I'm a procrastinator, but two, I like to watch it like right before I do it because I just want it the freshest in my head. But Michelle M, first and foremost, announce what the movie is to the kid listeners as we kick this off. For all the children, our film today is Angels in the Outfield, a family sports drama, drama comedy, dramedy. I'd say dramedy. Available absolutely nowhere (laughs) absolutely nowhere and you know what like in this day and age where it feels like every week there's a new subscription service that we're being asked to purchase i mean it's shocking that this is available nowhere do you have disney plus yeah okay i don't have disney plus so i literally have everything else though so i checked Netflix, HBO, Hulu, Amazon Prime, which Amazon Prime has everything to rent, iTunes, uh, scoured literally every app known to me, the new Paramount Plus app that which I do HBO have. HBO Max, not yeah, there. It's nowhere. I've never on this pod, and quite honestly, never in my life have I ever thought like, oh, I want to watch that movie, and then not been at least able to go to either iTunes or Amazon Prime to at least rent it. For like four yeah. bucks. And you can't buy it at like Target or like Best Buy. Like they don't have it available like in an actual like tangible copy. Even though if I did, I don't know how I'd watch it because I don't I have a DVD player or like a VHS. And um, I was like, maybe I'll go to a like a, a used video store. But I'm like, okay, well, yeah, right. Come on, let's be real. It's, it was wild. By the way, this just reminds me. There's this like the last blockbuster documentary on Netflix. Have you seen that? Yeah, we watched it um, maybe like last week. It was really good. Very nostalgic. Oh, I God, I know. I have so many blockbuster memories. It, it is. I would like to honestly go there in Oregon to just see <laughs> the one store and just like walk through the aisles again. But anyways, that's where we could have also gone. And that's no longer in the in the cards either. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so fucked. Well, I did find it on YouTube, and I, like, Danny and I watched the first forty-five minutes of it, and then the actual like visual continues, but the audio goes back to the beginning, and you hear like the Disney like like song come on, and you're like, wait, what's going on? So that wasn't gonna work. I'm gonna play that song at some point, but it that really harkened me back to when i was a child that like theme song it had one of those classic like disney theme songs where it just sticks in your head like either hook or harry potter or just these like seminal theme songs little giants has one too where you're just like you're just like fuck yeah i remember exactly where i was watching this movie takes you right back it's in the back of your brain yeah let, let's do a quick Mount Rushmore of favorite childhood movies, sports movies. Because oh, I was, boy. there's a bunch of them, and I'm going to just rattle off a few. I'm going to list them, and then you tell me what, what your top four would be. But so you have Angels in the Outfield, Little Giants, 
Mighty Ducks, Little Big League, Rookie of the Year, Sandlot, Space Jam, Big Green, Air Bud, Bad News Bears. Wow. I know. It's a well, lot. This may be shameful, but I'm going to have to go ahead and throw out the fact that I've not seen most of those. What? I know. Well, I'm a girl, so my sister and I would watch a few of those over and over again. Not that girls can't watch sports movies. It just wasn't in our mix. You know what I mean? Okay. Can I give one that I think definitely needs to be on there for sure? Which one? Mighty Ducks. Just okay. I have as a franchise. That. Isn't that shameful? It's pretty bad. You need to watch it. I'm going to do that at some point on this pod, Mighty Ducks. I don't know if I'm going to do, I might do D2 or D3 when they're actually teens to like fit our narrative a little bit. But hmm. either way, I think Mighty Ducks would have to be on there. I kind of want to put, I think Sandlot, obviously. So I Mighty Ducks. Sandlot. That's a classic. Okay. But- so does Three Ninjas count as a sports movie? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. That's I don't kind of think like so. Genre bending, you know. Yeah, I don't think so. But I do love that movie, Three Ninjas. Yeah, so let's good. let's do spate. Let's do uh, Mighty Ducks, Sandlot, and then just do little. I think we should do. We've done Little Giants on the pod, so let's do Little Giants three. And then, <laughs> do you want to go basketball movie for our fourth? Since we don't have basketball, and do Space Jam. We could do Space Jam. Is there not another basketball movie that I prefer over Space Jam, though? Hmm. Air Bud. <laughs> How about like Luck of the Irish? No, that's too obscure. Yeah, I don't even know what that Air is. Air Bud's pretty good. I really did like Air Bud. Let's put Air Bud on there. Let's that's your Bud that's on. your ad. Yeah. I yeah. Like okay. I did rent Little Giants as an adult only a couple years ago and watched the whole thing. You know, it was really good. I want to say that Little Giants completely holds up as an adult yeah like when hank and i watched it for this pod by the way kids go check out our little giants pod it was (laughs) like at no point when i was watching it did i feel like god this is so made for kids like i felt like it was made for me 33 it was made for you it was made for the world yeah whereas angels in the outfield is one of those movies where when i was watching it while I still loved it for the nostalgic factor, I was definitely thinking a lot of elements of this was definitely made for kids. Yeah. Well, I don't know. As an adult watching this again for the first time in many years, countless years, I really enjoyed it all over again. Oh, I enjoyed the shit out of it for sure. <laughs> I loved it. I just, there were some moments where I was like, and maybe this will, we'll get to some of them in like our picking nits section. Yeah, where it's like, oh, I don't know about that. That's that didn't translate as much, and it, and it's either it doesn't translate to twenty twenty one, or it doesn't translate because I'm now an adult. But anyways, this movie, <laughs> nineteen ninety four, directed by William Deere. Only other thing that I noticed that he did that was interesting to me. Did you ever see that movie Wild America? Ooh, with Devin Sawa, isn't that right? Uh, yeah, that's the exact guy I was going to ask you about. Uh, I'm familiar. That guy is a smoke show dude. Oh, smoke show dude for sure. For sure. God, I. He's real life Casper. I mean, come on. Is he? Yeah, Casper. Did you ever I, watch that? I I can't. I, I isn't uh Christina Ricci in that? She is. Yeah, 
I haven't, I totally forget it, but I just remember that guy from wild America. And then he was also in final destination mm-hmm. and little giants. He's the hot quarterback at like 12. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's the hottest 12 year old. So, but what even at 12, that? I mean that blonde hair, that straight blonde hair. I mean, yeah. And he rocked the nineties haircut too, where it was kind of like a part down the middle and then his blonde hair was just kind of like parted to the sides, like Sean Hunter and Boy Meets World. Sean Hunter and Boy Meets World. Yeah. So funny. Well, um, okay. So I feel that this is the standout, though, between Wild America and Angels in the Outfield, right? His finest work, the director, William Deere. Oh, yeah. I would imagine Wild America was actually, I think, a pretty small movie. I mean, it did have JTT in it. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, no big deal. But <laughs> I still think Angels in the Outfield was like bigger. There were so many stars. We'll get to all their uh, actors, but there were so many stars in this movie. So many. I was blown away by them. Um, okay, let me read some plot really quick so everyone's familiar with what this movie's about. Foster Kid Roger loves the Anaheim Angels. Although they're called California they're Angels. Called like California Angels. I'm sure for legal reasons. Yeah. Even though they're the worst team in the major leagues, his estranged dad promises to reunite the family if the Angels make it to the World Series. So Roger decides to ask for some divine help and prays that his favorite team will turn things around. Soon, a real-life angel named Al, played by Christopher Lloyd, the Back to the Future guy, shows up in response to Roger's prayers and Anaheim's I'm just going to say California's <laughs> and California's hopeless coach. Danny Glover is shocked to see his team on a winning streak angels in the outfield. I mean, that just sucks you right in. It sucks you right in. I have a bunch of fun facts. Do you want me to just start rattling? Sure. Oh, first and foremost, based on the 1951 movie entitled the same thing. Did you read anything about this? Well, that's the only one I could actually find. I think okay. on Hulu they have the original Angels in the Outfield from the 50s. But, you know, that just that wasn't the same one. I wanted like our 90s CGI, I guess. I know. Well, I guess so what they did in the 50s one is they didn't have any of the like CGI fake angels or whatever. I think they would just play like the audio in the background. So when they're hearing the angels speak or whatever, it's it's you're just like hearing it in your head. You're not like visually seeing CGI angels. But the the main difference is in that 1991 one, it was the Pittsburgh Pirates versus the California Angels. And I think it was mostly seemed like it was centered around the manager where the actual angels were talking to the manager, not some kid. Got it. Less orphans. Less orphans. It said there was one eight-year-old orphan who could see the angels and stuff, but I don't think the whole movie was like built around him like this one is. Probably only because uh, JGL wasn't born yet, right? Yeah. By the way, this is like your second JGL movie. It sure is. 500 Days of Summer, and now we're back for Angels in the Outfield, an earlier moment in his career, yet just as storied and powerful, I would say. <laughs> what a difference between 500 days of summer and this in terms of like the range that you and I have podcasted about. 
This one has less of a soundtrack accompaniment. However, we might arguably have more of an all-star cast in this one. I think you're right on that because, again, we'll get to them. But yeah, there's some serious power players in this movie. Uh, Another quick fun fact. This film was not the only connection between Disney and the Angels. Two years after the film's release, the Walt Disney Corporation bought the Angels and owned the team until 2003. In addition, Walt Disney was one of the Angels' original board members. Oh, wow. So lots of Disney connections. Oh, here's here's another. So did you ever see that movie Don John with your guy, JGL? Uh, yeah, we talked about this. Is, did you notice who his dad is in that movie? In Don John? Is it the same dad? It's Tony Danza. Who's, oh, who's Mel is? Clark, yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen Don John in quite some time. However, or, but I, wouldn't, I, don't, I feel like I probably wouldn't have made that connection. Yeah, I know. I saw that and I was like, oh yeah, shit. By the way, Don John is, I feel like the movie just like slipped through the cracks. It was, I think it was JGL's like first directorial experience. Like it was that he, he had hit, had a couple hits and they were like, okay, you can, you can finally direct something that you want. And he just made himself like some New Jersey guy who's addicted to porn and who has sex and starts hooking up with Scarlett Johansson. I mean, you hate, you see it every day, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I feel well, like Don John is just, people sum it up so quickly. They think that they know what the movie is going to be like just based off of the trailer, but it actually evolves a lot. So I don't know. Give it a try. Please. Give it a try. It's a great, great movie. It's not just about being addicted to porn. It's also like got a lot of valuable lessons in it. Last one. Last fun fact. This one was just interesting to me when shown on syndication on ABC family or on ESPN, this movie angels in the outfield, the Winston cigarette sign on the center field scoreboard has to be blurred out. Actually, can we take a step back and talk about that a bit more? Yeah. 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 I don't know if this is too early, but I noticed that whenever I was watching it, the, the big Winston billboard, like the, the red background white lettering and plot spoiler tony danza one of our star characters and the the pitcher the i guess redemptive pitcher of the angels dies from lung cancer so do you think that they were trying to like then maybe they didn't like make the tie of like, perhaps we shouldn't have this product placement whenever our main guy is going to die from lung cancer. Cause he is that an, like a known smoker or is that just me? I don't know. I, that main thing that stood out to me, that plot point where at the end of the movie, just like as things are really starting to build up and, and like we're reaching the crescendo of the entire story, just like out of nowhere, it's just dropped in like, Oh yeah. By the way, this guy's only got six months to live. Yeah, you shouldn't smoke so many cigarettes. Fuck. Anyways. My eight-year-old orphan who's already gone through so many <laughs> traumatic experiences. Your favorite sports star that you're very close with and looking at right now is going to die in six months. But don't worry, you've got to take care of. I was just like, what? Could you still advertise cigarettes in the 90s? In like magazines or on billboards and stuff? ED, I'll do you one even better. You could smoke in an airplane until 1997. Oh my God. I do. This vague... came out in 94. 
Yeah. And I do vaguely remember being on airplanes and they would have the little ashtrays. So crazy. It just seems like a million years ago. I feel like that would be very uncomfortable, you know, to be on a plane. Oh. <laughs> the person next to you is just smoking. But I don't know. I thought that that was something that kind of stood out. I mean, I'm not saying to like cancel the film because of it by any means. I just think it's an interesting testament to like what was normal back then and maybe even like how things were written back then versus now. Yeah, but even then they still killed the cigarette guy. <laughs> yeah, it's just smoking pills. This is your brain on smoking. <laughs> I know. No, it was tough. It was tough to watch because I completely I haven't seen this movie in forever and I'd completely forgot about that in the plot. Like in early, like in the movie when he's coughing and stuff, I was a little confused. Like, yeah, I get it. He's like an old pitcher, like so his body's creaking and he's like struggling to throw a ball and everything because he's old. But why is he like dry heaving and like <laughs> and not able to breathe? And then there's like, oh, I guess he has lung cancer and he's going to fucking die. Well, they open up with him in a ice bath, I think, in like the locker room. And he's sitting in the ice bath smoking a cig. And that's when Danny Glover comes in and kind of gives him just a temper tantrum and a talking to. And he, I think they try to like overdo the fact that he's smoking. Yeah, and and I don't want to spoil all of our picking nits, but that was one of my huge picking nits was, yes, I get it. This movie was 1994, so people were definitely smoking like in more spots than they are now, planes, like you said, and everything. But in no way, shape, or form in 1994 were professional athletes smoking in the locker room. <laughs> there, It just it didn't happen. Like, I... I I think the last time I ever saw pictures of that was in like the seventies where you would see a guy after the game or at halftime of an NFL game and he's smoking a cigarette, like before he goes out for the second half and it's just wild. You would never see that. Um, so that was something that was like, that, that doesn't make any sense. But anyways, before we get to these characters real quick, did you see the rotten tomatoes? I did. I know I, I did too. I did too. I'll be honest. I did too. So we can't even guess, but I was shocked. I'll announce what it was. 33%. Come on. I mean, what would you, what would you give it if you didn't have your head up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really hard for me to answer. Honestly, just kidding. Um, probably I would give it like a, at this day and age, I'd probably give it a 75 but when I was a kid, I would give it a 92. And you can probably tell if you had the physical VHS copy that I have in like the puffy case. Yeah. You know, with like a white Disney phone. Yep. And I mean, gosh, I wonder how many times that VHS has actually been played and rewound. And and <laughs> I mean, countless. Same thing. I have the VHS. I saw it more times than I can count. If I was a kid, I'd definitely put it at least in the 90s. Same as you. If I'm mm-hmm. an adult. I wouldn't go as low as 33. I mean, from like a critical perspective, I'm, I might drop it into like the fifties or sixties, but I, I definitely wouldn't take it below 50. Cause there's, there's still a lot of like themes and messaging that holds up, you know, totally. Like you just got to believe you got to believe it's all about <laughs> believing and having faith that I was like, Oh, nice messaging. Um, okay, player breakdown. We've already touched on them a little bit, but let's officially go to them right now. Let's do it. 
JGL, your guy. I just want to say real quick before I kick it over to you for your thoughts. Real sad eyes as a kid. He's seen a thing or two. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's only been around for eight years or so, but if those eyes could talk, they tell you a lot of fucked up shit that he's seen in his life. He's So his mom died. He's a foster kid because his dad is the biggest piece of shit in the world. In the world. More on him later. JGL, I just want to say, too, about his character. The name Roger. Power name for a kid, you know? <laughs> it's a weird kid name. It's, it's, it's just there's some names that, like, for babies, they don't make any sense. Like, you have baby <laughs> Roger. It just seems so weird. There's other ones, like, you know... I struggle if it's like a, a baby George, like any old person name. It's like a struggle. If Probably like baby Robert, right? Yeah. Like just, I guess at least if it was Robert though, you could go by like Robbie or something like, you know, make it a little more childish, but if with Roger, Rog, yeah, what do you call him? Raj? I think he prefers to go by Roger based off of those in his inner circle. Now I would love to be named Roger at like, 16 i feel like that's kind of badass if you're like a 16 year old kid named roger he's probably like smoking cigarettes all the time in airplanes like a badass specifically yeah yeah so i think roger is just one of those names that it like fluctuates throughout your whole life like it sucks when you're a baby but then like when you're 16 you're probably the biggest badass around and then who knows what it's like in your 20s and 30s but then when you're like 70 or 80 that's like the golden age for the name of Roger. Yeah. Roger clearly, you know, has a long life ahead of him, many stages of leaning into the Rogerness. Yeah. I will also say I watch this with subtitles as I prefer. That's my preferred method of movie watching. I don't know if you have a strong opinion on subtitles or not, but whenever I kept seeing Roger across the screen, I'm like, wait, is that the kid or is there like someone else in the scene that I'm missing? I got to say, it's a good question by you on subtitles because I'm now watching this show called Bear Town on HBO, which is essentially like a Swedish Friday Night Lights. Okay. And it's like hockey, teen drama instead of football, but in Sweden. And it's amazing, but it's obviously subtitles and not just in English. And I, so I've been reading a lot of subtitles. I've been watching the show and I'm realizing I really don't like subtitles because it takes me out of, I'm now focused on the very bottom of the screen and just reading the words versus like being locked in on the emotion of the characters, like face and their facial expressions and everything. And I, and because I'm reading, I'm also like the music and stuff and, and everything. The score is not like, you know, subconsciously seeping into my brain as much as I'd want it to. So I don't, I don't like subtitles to be honest. I mean, I think that's fair to each their own. Um, I'm a big subtitles gal, as I mentioned, but uh, I, I feel like without them, sometimes I miss details that just make, make the story more rich. So, I mean, I, maybe it's just cause I watched so much game of Thrones <laughs> back yeah. to back. And you really have to have the subtitles on for that. Or like Westworld, uh, you know, subtitles are a must. So I think I think just that I, I don't like to go back because I enjoy them now. 
This is a very interesting topic to me. And now I want to put my head in the gutter. If, if you'll let me, can I put my head in the gutter and get inappropriate? Mm, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> this I feel like is a classic difference between guys and girls, because I think guys are just in general, much more visual, hence porn watching dudes are much more into porn. Obviously told you my head was going to be in the gutter on this. Whereas females, I feel like the romance novels and reading the words on the page and like you get much more jacked up about like letting it take over in your mind versus like dudes are just ne- like Neanderthals and they need to just <laughs> physically see it or their brain can't operate. Do you think a little of that is happening here or am I way off? I mean, it very well could be. You know what this makes me think, BD, is we should ask the kids. Maybe mm. on Instagram, we could do a poll. And what kind of porn they're watching? Study. Yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, what kind of porn are you watching? What kind of cigarettes are you smoking? <laughs> and um, subtitles or no subtitles. And let's just see the mix of like, you know, people who identify as male versus female. And we can go from there. Right. Love that. So we're going to ask them to not only fill out the questionnaire, but also give us their exact gender because we need to break this down on gender lines. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Love that. Um, any other yeah. any other JGL thoughts that you have? We've covered him extensively on the pod. JGL, man, oh, man. I think that he really showed a dynamic performance of just a, a rainbow of emotions. The, the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And I think that he did them all pretty well. There was a, a few cheesy moments. I'm not going to lie. Or I, I would have probably given him some notes. <laughs> some constructive you know? feedback. Just a little bit. A little bit of notes. Maybe just do less. Maybe a few times. Yeah. Don't be so happy whenever you hear that you're getting adopted. Like, just chill. So <laughs> yeah. Fuck, no, kid. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, but, I'm not. Uh, Stop acting so happy you're getting adopted. Act like you've been there before, Roger. Fuck. Like you're not even like kind of like skeptical about this, Roger. Like, come on. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say though, we could tell at an early age that JGL, he he had it. You know? Oh. We could tell in this movie that he definitely had it. And the other thing I just want to say before we move off of him, cool thing for JGL is he actually on this VL podcast, he is the most recurring VL movie character actor to ever be on the pod he's been on three times he was in 10 things i hate about you which we did Love 500 it. days of summer and Love angels it. in the outfield wow good for him you know i like a good reoccurring character yeah good for him danny glover i'm gonna probably call him coach danny glover in this entire movie he's coach Knox. he's the manager of the baseball team you know him from Lethal Weapon fame. He's been in over 200 movies. His career spans over 40 years. This guy's been around the block in Hollywood. I hear um, he's also quite the philanthropist. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he has his own, I, I believe, studio where they create movies that specialize in just like social awareness and learning. I did see he, that. Yeah, so he can use um, his platform to, you know, not only star in awesome movies and shows, but to, you know, teach us all a little bit along the way too, which I like. So he's I doing a whole lot of good. Story his career was though. I mean, I know him from Angels in the Outfield. I I don't know him from 
basically anything else. Well, here's the number one note I wrote down on him because I don't know him from much else either. Like, like I said, he's been in Lethal Weapon. He's been in, I've, I've seen him in a bunch of other movies, but I think he really crushed 80s hard and my wheelhouse for movies is like 90s and 2000s. So I don't know him from like a ton of stuff, but I obviously recognize him. But the main thing I was thinking when I was looking at him was he doesn't age. He has been the age of like 43 for the past 30 plus years. He has trustworthy eyes too. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, and a, you trustworthy eyes and a trustworthy like 43 year old face. Yeah. And a I trustworthy 43 year old face. <laughs> I, I just right, though, I'm like flipping through his films and most of these are probably a little like pre-niche, pre-BD. Yeah. And they're they're pre-us, but I don't think either of us can tell a difference in how old he was in the pre-us movies and the post-us movies. And even now, like I'm pretty sure he's in his 70s or 80s and he looks the same age as he did when he filmed this movie close to 30 years ago. What a luxury. God. I know. That's what happens, I guess, when you're a good person. You just don't age. Yeah, that's true. Angels are really looking out for him, you know, with all this philanthropy work and stuff. Last thing, last thing I have from him. First movie he ever did. 1979 Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood. That whole Alcatraz just prison and everything in San Francisco just fascinates me. And I feel like I need to watch that movie. You probably should. Have you ever seen The Rock? Oh, Where yeah. I've, oh, no, I thought you meant like the real rock. Like, have I actually seen it in San Francisco? Oh, well, I mean, I, I've never been there, but I, I've seen it from afar. So well, real quick, I'll answer your question. I have not ever seen The Rock, and I honestly have no idea how I'm even saying that because I feel like everyone has seen that movie and it's awesome. That was another one I had on VHS. That was just like more of a sleeve and not like a puffy case, you know? Oh, were those puffy cases uh, specifically just for like Disney movies, kids movies? Yeah. Because believe- kids were just throwing them. <laughs> breaking Probably them. because people would stack them up like Barbie beds. That's what my sisters and I would do. And then you know, eventually they get knocked over or toppled on top of. So, you know, it's just craziness. I believe Mag D who listens to my sister who listens to all these pods. Shout out to Mag D. The wife mm-hmm. of Wicklow Ware, who sponsors this pod, gives us so much money. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe as a young child, the only way that my parents could get her to sit still for a family photo is if she was holding the VHS foam box of Peter Pan. <laughs> this is so very specific. Yeah. So you look at all of our old photos and and she's just holding this Peter Pan, like shredded Peter Pan VHS box. And it's the weirdest thing. That's hilarious. Does she still own that? Do you know where it is? She sleeps with it every single night. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love no. that journey for her. Yeah. No. Anyways. So I have seen the rock, the real rock. And Pat, co-host on this podcast, Pat, we actually have taken a tour of Alcatraz and got like the whole rundown inside the prison. It was amazing. They told us the whole story of the attempted escape plan and everything. 
And that's why I want to see the movie because I want to see it unfold. But the whole story with these guys who escaped, it was kind of like Shawshank Redemption before Shawshank Redemption. And they they like carved out in the vent in the wall where like they would get, you know, ventilation into the room or whatever. They carved out a hole around it, went through the vent into their rooms, climbed up the pipes in the walls all the way onto the roof. And then they had like, since it's on a rock in the middle of the ocean, they had made like a raft or whatever. It's like four or five guys. And they got off the rock. They escaped. They officially got out of the prison and escaped, but then their bodies were never found. So no one knows if these dudes led by Clint Eastwood, did they live or did they die? Because I think I know the answer because they did survive and they um, migrated down to the Anaheim area where years later, one of them becomes the coach of the California angels. That's that's let's just say he was in, he was plausible. Let's yeah. Let's say he escaped. He became and that, and, and who knows, maybe that's why angels are visiting him now and stuff. Yeah. Love that connection. Yep. Next guy, Tony Danza, Mel Clark, the 40 year old pitcher. Every time I see Tony Danza's name, I think of, hold me closer, Tony Danza. Can <laughs> <laughs> you ever sing that in your head? Is that a tiny dancer? I, mean, I sing that song in my head. I don't sing it with, with Tony Danza in it, but now I'm going to. Yeah, maybe now, like moving forward, every time you hear Tiny Dancer, you'll just think Tony Danza, which is yeah. you know, just as good. May not, maybe better. What, what are your Tony Danza memories? Because I think he was a little before our time too like all the tv shows he was big in like taxi and um what was the other one who's, who's, the, boss? who's the boss i i never watched those shows i feel like we we used to dabble in who's the boss but nothing like super strong i just remember he was kind of like like a meme in a way like everybody liked him but you weren't exactly sure why but is tony danza in on the joke like on of him like, don't you feel like, like Tony Danza, like he's kind of a joke. Like anytime I've seen him in a movie, I'm like, I laugh like at him. Like when I saw him in Don John, I'm like, oh my God, his dad's Tony Danza. What the fuck? I don't know, man, because I think it's just a generational thing. Like people who, you know, knew him and like whatever he was in his, his like young adult years, I suppose, in Hollywood, they probably have a, they don't think he's a joke, but people like us who, you know, are a little bit behind it. I don't, I don't okay, know. So, I can't answer that. I don't know enough about it to have an opinion, honestly. So should we just settle on Gen X is laughing with Tony Danza and millennials like you and I are laughing at him? I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. It's, who knows? Totally fair. And maybe Gen Z coming up will start laughing with him again. And he just like skipped a generation. Yeah. Why not? Right. I think there's, there's room for a Tony Danza resurgence. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Um, another guy who uh, crushed the eighties, Christopher Lloyd, AKA the boss angel in this movie, back to the future guy. Christopher Lloyd. He was my favorite character whenever I was younger. Isn't that funny? Of this whole movie. I just loved Al. But I also really liked Back to the Future and I loved Doc. So maybe there was something like calming. But um, now as an adult, when I watch it, I think he's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. 
I I didn't have any like I didn't have too many specific thoughts on him in this movie. What what was shocking to me when I was just uh, looking up his IMDb, though, was I had no idea that he's the bad guy, the villain in Dennis the Menace. Are you familiar? Oh, yeah, he's like the homeless guy. Yeah, his name is Switchblade Sam in that movie. Remember, he's like he's got that switchblade. Yeah, he's he like, opens a can of beans with a switchblade. That will always live in my mind. Right? Yeah, for for me, the one is he is like slicing an apple with it and eating an apple with the switchblade. Fuck, I mean, very scary, huh? Scary stuff. He, but just like talk about range. I mean, he's the lovable <laughs> angel in this movie. He's Doc Brown, you know, the infamous guy in, in Back to the Future who can travel time. And then he's also like this menacing villain in a child movie. Freaking Isn't he us all in out. the Page Master as well? He's uh, the horror book in Page Master. Oh, yeah, totally. Love the Page Master. Macaulay Culkin. Oh, love that movie too. God damn that movie was good <laughs> i'm so huh. glad to hear that I, I was not sure if that would be one that you were familiar with page master definitely yeah no that movie's amazing should we just so talk we, we respect the hell out of chris lloyd yeah nope love that I, we should call him chris lloyd i don't even know why i was calling him christopher from now on we should just call him chris lloyd that makes more sense to me yeah i think we're in that's like what? how everyone says like martin scorsese but then they call him marty if you're in i think that we can call chris lloyd chris right they do the same thing with robert de niro if you're cool you just call him bob de niro oh really yeah yeah you think i can call him bob is that okay yeah and then also james cameron i think if you're cool you just call him jim cameron damn yeah I mean, I learned something new today. Cool. So some new nicknames to throw around. <laughs> so Chris Lloyd will settle on small characters in this movie before we get to the actual film. These are all insane small characters. So here's one that just was interesting to me. Maggie, the old lady who is Roger and JP's foster mom, is also the crazy pigeon lady from Home Alone. Woo woo. So that was Love cool. It. Adrian Brody's in this movie. Right. The pianist? Hello? Yeah, and he was in Midnight in Paris. He's uh, like incredible. Oh my God. I literally, so side tangent, I just rewatched Midnight in Paris because was watching all those really fucked up Woody Allen documentaries. And apparently I'm the fucked up guy who goes from watching all this shit about, and even in the fourth part of the documentary, they're talking about like, Hey, you, you cannot, if he's like a, a child molester and stuff, I can no longer watch the films that he's done without looking at it through the lens of like, this guy, guy's a crazy criminal, whatever. And then as soon as I watched the documentary, I put on midnight in Paris and watched it. And I'm like in love with that movie. And that's how fucked I, up. I, I mean, am. that's why it's so hard because those like Woody Allen films are so good, but it's like, now that you know, Hard. I mean, like Midnight in Paris is one of my favorite movies. It's like one of three movies that I actually have on my phone. And I watch them like one when I used to travel like, when I fly around and stuff. It's like my comfort movie to watch on a plane. Yeah. So for me, I'm able to separate it if it's not like fully connected. Like that movie that they kept showing. What was that one where he in the movie is an old man, like dating a young 16 year old girl? What was that one in the 70s? 
I don't know. Honestly, Manhattan? I in and out of the room because I didn't, I just, it was too much for my stomach. Was it Manhattan? Does that ring a bell? It could be for sure. So those, that I cannot separate because that rings so true. Like, fuck, it's him playing the character. He's an old man and he's hooking up with a child. Okay, I can't do it. But when he's not even in the movie, like Midnight in Paris, it's an Owen Wilson movie. Somehow I was able to disconnect it. But either way, that premise of that movie about like how every generation is nostalgic for the prior generation. The golden age fallacy. I know it's it's we could go on and on about that movie. Maybe we'll do Midnight in Paris. I don't know. I feel like Woody Allen's canceled. We need to let that one cool down a little. Yeah, let's give it like five years. We'll we'll revisit it in like five years. That sounds uh, good. Okay, Dermot Mulroney. Oh my god, my best friend's wedding. Have you seen it? I tried watching that. I, I just I wasn't into it. Oh man, I mean that's a a classic. I mean, so, that, that guy, he's a hot guy. Like, I get it. I mean, he's a hot guy. Like, oh, man. I can't even, like, begin to talk about all of the conflicts that I have with this character, though. It's, this guy's brutal. Um, like, worst dad of the year alert. Like, just mm-hmm. give him the award for being the shittiest dad. He did? The shittiest dad. Thinks he's so cool. He trades in his car for a motorcycle because it travels better. <laughs> when he did that, I just kept thinking about Dumb and Dumber, like how dumb that move, they made that move look in Dumb and Dumber. And in the exact same year, this movie comes out, 1994, where they make the move look cool. You know? Oh, my God. I just like it kills me. Like His storyline is so heartless. Like it was, it was just hard to watch. But something I noticed about the way that they filmed that character, the dad, is they never showed him really like face on. It was always like from the side, because I think it's like intentional because he was like just so ashamed of what he was doing, but he knew like that he was just a piece of shit and he had to do it. So like they never really let you, and he had like hair in his eye like the whole time. So you never really got to like look into both of his eyes, like full on to like address what he's doing. So I think that was like a tactic. I mean, I don't know. No. That's something I picked up because I just wanted to grab him and slap him. You're probably right. I'm sure it was like, cause they don't want you to empathize with him or sympathize. So never look him directly in the eye. So you just can never get on like his level. Right. They did. Yeah, they never let the viewer get a good look at him. Yeah. The other, the last small character that we'll get into, and this one is, I saved him for the end because it's massive. Matthew McConaughey is the starting outfielder. I mean, I just listened to Green Lights, the audiobook recently. Absolutely <laughs> loved it. I had walked into it kind of with low expectations, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very sad when the audiobook was over. I wanted more. But he talks about getting this role and how he like went in for the interview and how this just really like propelled his career and finally got some money. So he wasn't like couch serving. I mean, it's a really interesting story from his side. Yeah, because I think the story on him was for Dazed and Confused, which I believe was like the only other movie he had done before this in 1993. I think he was like a local guy. Like I think for every movie, they just get a bunch of like, all right, for characters 19 through 35, those small roles, we're just going to grab whoever the local actors are in whatever city we're filming this movie in. And I think he just happened to be 
like around and grabbed one of those roles. And I think because he crushed every line he had, they just like kept giving him more lines and kept giving him more scenes and stuff. And so mm-hmm. his, his role ended up becoming like a lot bigger than it was supposed to. Give or take, that's essentially what happened. But he was in film school in Texas when they were filming. So yeah, and like his, they were working on that movie and his buddy knew that the director was always going to his bar every night. So he was like, Matthew, you need to come here and uh, make sure that you're here the night that this guy's going to be here. And then they end up getting drunk together and the rest is history. But then he moves to LA and long story short, he goes in for the audition. They wanted like an all-American guy for this particular member of the Angels. So he walks in with like, I think like a Marlboro hat and an American flag shirt or maybe vice versa. And they're like, okay, basically you got the job. And he's like, cool. And that was the whole interview. Didn't have to speak one word. I mean, I think just a little bit, but he just like comes down, like he owns the place, like this Texan guy. And they're like, perfect. You're exactly what we want. Damn. That's like, I need to read that book. Cause I've heard him interviewed a bunch of times about the book, like promoting the book on podcasts and stuff. But I need to actually sit down and either listen to it or read it because I'm sure it's wildly fascinating. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, he's the best. I love Matt McConaughey. All right. Bless you, Matt McConaughey. Bless you. Bless you, Matt McConaughey. Should we transition into the movie? Probably. Okay. First thing, Roger and JP, we need to say they are best friends. They're living together with the crazy pigeon lady from Home Alone. She's actually. Although, so- I think that we should call her Maggie. We need to separate her characters, for they are very different, right? Yeah, she's cool in this movie. Uh, one of those moments where I was like, points off you know in my head why i probably rate this movie in the 50s points off wise was at the end in like the uh press conference when she stood up and like was talking on behalf of the kids that's one where i was like uh simmer down lady (laughs) i literally cried adult tears when i was watching that last night me and anna were watching it just now and both of us were cracking up hysterically And we kept saying, we just kept saying, homeless lady, shut up. (laughs) Okay. Can I tell a conspiracy or a theory? It's not a conspiracy. I actually have two things, two theories for you. I meant to bring one of them up earlier. And then I'm sorry. I'm like, you're going to have to do a little editing here. Okay. I'll edit this. I'll edit this to be funny. So (laughs) thank you. There is a conspiracy theory that this movie never happened and that it isn't real. Because it's impossible to find. You can't get it anywhere. Right. Sometimes people are like, did that even exist? Was this a movie from our childhood? Or is this something that everyone just remembered? Or they think they remember, but it doesn't actually exist. Clearly, we proved it wrong. Conspiracy theory busted. But I thought that was kind of interesting because it was very difficult to find, as we discussed earlier. Wait, where did that come from? Where did that conspiracy come from? Mike, (laughs) 
Mike? Yeah, Mike and Bree, we were hanging out yesterday and they said that. So we, I was just, you know, walking through the video that we were watching, the movie we were watching, and it was brought up that there's a conspiracy theory that perhaps this movie was never made. And they, they said that there was apparently another Sinbad movie that everyone remembers, but no one can find. So I did a little digging and I couldn't find a conspiracy theory on like Reddit about angels in the outfield and that it wasn't actually real. However, I did find another just regular theory about Maggie. Oh, the crazy homeless lady, crazy pigeon lady. And the theory is that, of course, there are angels in the outfield, as the title gives away. But there, that Maggie is also a real-life angel. She takes in foster kids. She lets them go to this game and, like, enables them to have this outlet as they're, like, just navigating these terrifying and depressing waters of being an orphan slash foster kid, because it's kind of like the same thing in a way. And then she also enables their eventual adoption. Yeah. And all the while, she kind of is just like hanging out in the background, making sure that everything falls into place. So it's like she's kind of like a physical manifestation of an angel, right? Yeah. And she kind of does that same thing in Home Alone. I mean, she's Kevin, like his mom and dad and his whole family or whatever are not around and he's living in new york completely by himself and she crazy pigeon lady like poofs out of fucking thin air and totally comes like becomes like his pseudo mom in that too so yeah, she protects him from death you know near-death experience she helps him understand the importance of relationships in life i mean she is maybe she's an angel yeah, because, you know, they didn't even in Home Alone, I realized when I was looking up her page that they didn't even give her character a name in Home Alone. She's just called Pigeon Lady, like <laughs> officially in the credits. So maybe she is just like a full on angel in real life. And your second conspiracy is totally right. She is not a real human being. When she starts speaking at that press conference at the end, who knows? Like maybe the other people didn't even hear her speak. And so when me and Anna are listening to it, like, Who's this crazy homeless lady spouting off? Someone get her to shut the fuck up. It never happened. Spouting <laughs> off. Wow. But if you think about it, it kind of does make sense. Like, I'm not sure if that was like the, the writer's intention to have like an actual physical angel. But like anyone who lives their life that way, where they truly just take care of foster kids like six months at a time and help them like navigate the court system and be there for them and give them a, a home. And she lives next to like the like baseball stadium so the kids can go like have some fun and like dick around. Like, I don't know. She's an angel. Yeah. I mean, kudos to her because I don't. The court scene, whenever the worst dad in the world is there. Yeah. It's like just completely cold shouldering Roger. Okay. I mean, that's hard to watch. But maybe It's I'm hard to watch. It. It's hard to watch. Let's go to that guy earlier on in the movie let's go back to our timeline with this guy so movie kicks off where he's riding around with his you know 1994 outfit he's on his motorcycle he's got the parted hair down the middle he's got the 1994 goatee he's got, got the leather jacket leather jacket he's got the fucking chain that you know it's attached to his wallet but it, like the got chain like hangs black, out like levi jeans that aren't like all the way black they're kind of like gray black you know not a good look and 
his kid says like, dad, when are we going to become a family again? And he says like, oh, son, when the angels win the pennant or something. All I know is the team sucks ass and the angels winning anything is completely out of the question. So because Roger's so young and naive, he doesn't understand that when his dad says like, yeah, son, we'll totally be a family one day when the angels win the pennant. That's essentially saying like, yeah, when the Bengals ever win one fucking playoff game. And so in my mind, I go, there's no way that will ever happen. No way it's ever going to happen. Clearly like a fuck off from the dad early on, like early on in this movie, we realized bad dad and he's telling his son to fuck off. Yeah. Heavy stuff that we're presented with early on. The only other thing early on I want to talk about that kind of bumped me a little bit with this dad was in the opening scene where he's smoking a cigarette inside classic 1994 stuff. You hate to see it, but you love to see it. Exactly. (laughs) Um, when, when he's done with his cigarette, he just puts it out on his jeans. <laughs> what? He's a serial killer. Clearly, it's, it's good for Roger that his father's not going to be a part of his life because anyone who puts out their own cigarette on their jeans, that's terrifying. I'm just like, dude, well, like, uh, why is that the mode? I blame the director. Why is that the mode for the director to show that this guy's a badass that he puts? His jeans are fucked up. I mean, you wouldn't want to. He has no regard for anything, including his child. No, his jeans. The kids, <laughs> or his jeans. Clearly, he cares about his motorcycle, which he got after he traded his truck, which I don't know why. Even as a kid, that always just really confused me. But he did it on purpose because you can't travel with two people on a motorcycle. Oh, uh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. That was, that was another clear fuck you to his son. So cold, man. Yeah. So the dad the dad's a total dick he's not he's winning awards for like worst dad of the year he bounces and roger the whole premise is play a clip here of roger he and his little little boy brain <laughs> to, he, he he takes that logic literally and he makes a wish at the end of the night that says a prayer i think more specifically good yeah good call out there he makes a prayer wanting to get his family all together clip god if there's god if you're a man or a woman if you listen i really really like a family my dad says that only happen if the angels want the bed the baseball So here we are. We, we, we say our prayer. We're looking at the stars. Beautiful, poetic moment. And then what happens, BD? We go into the game. First game? Yep. His first yeah. game post-prayer. First, <laughs> first game post-prayer shows up. And actually, I was thinking, like, as, as, a, as a young boy, when you would go to games as a kid, it was legitimately, like, the greatest experience and moment of your entire life. I don't know if you experienced this too, but like for me watching them walk into their first game post prayer, it really harkened me back to like, God, I just don't feel that 
that same magic. I mean, I, I love going to games in person, but like that magic of like anything can happen here. This is a magical wonderland. <laughs> so we get our first angel sighting at, at, you know, this game and Matthew McConaughey is going back for a foul ball. Roger and JP are just watching the game. He goes back for a foul ball and like Roger sees that this angel comes in essentially like picks Matt McConaughey up and carries him through the back of the outfield to catch a ball. And that's when we realize like, fuck this kid, he sees angels. These angels are going to, for whatever reason, help them win baseball games. <laughs> yeah. And then Christopher Lloyd comes in and hangs out for a second and like gives him the spiel of like, all right, look, listen, Roger, I'm going to have all my angels stop everything that they're doing. I'm telling you right now, we don't have bigger fish to fry than this, Roger. All of the angels are going to be on this fucking sports team to win these games so that you can get a family someday. That's what I'm having everyone put their their angel lives on hold to do. Right. But he gives them the condition. Do you, you know what it is? He says you cannot tell anyone. Fucking Roger blows that off and tells JP almost immediately. <laughs> and the coach. And the coach. Um, but that's it. That's it. He really doesn't tell anyone else. No, no. Yeah, he doesn't. I really, I would just want to say one thing real quick too. The relationship between JP and Roger is like the heartbeat of this entire movie. JP is the unsung hero of the film. A hundred percent. As Anna was watching it, she just kept saying like, this is the cutest kid I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, of all the kids I've ever seen, this kid takes the cake. And it's funny because I was looking him up. I think he acted in this movie and then just like never acted again. Maybe he just, you know, you know, <laughs> lived his childhood the way he pleased. He retired at the age of six. And so I had a real laugh out loud moment when I was watching JP and uh, Roger sitting in the stands at, at game one post prayer. And <laughs> so there's this like, administrative <laughs> like publicist guy he's like a yeah. PR guy he, his official title is administrative assistant of media relations <laughs> but yeah he's just like a PR guy yeah. and the coach puts him like in charge of just like watching the kids or whatever and at game one post prayer they're sitting there in the stands and this guy is always wearing like this nice linen like tan suit and it's like really nice he's got a bow tie on <clears throat> and i legitimately laughed out loud when the kids squirted the mustard on him on accident yeah and it was like a visceral laugh like a childhood laugh that i was just like going back to in my head but they spill the mustard on him then they <laughs> they, they spill coke on him and then <laughs> They set the nachos and cheese down on his seat and he sits down on the nachos. And his whole suit is just absolutely destroyed. But it's like the sweetest thing. And like JP's little face, he's like, oops, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me just play those two clips because they're hilarious. Hey, just take it, okay? Do you want anything else? Um, yeah, peanuts, maybe, and nachos if you could. Yeah. Yeah. 
My linen suit. What do I do? Mustard stains. That's hot water, cold water, uh, club soda. That's club soda. I got soda. Oh. I'm all wet. Get up in front of me, right now. We're going to dry off. Leave your popcorn there. I'm saving them for later. Sorry. Yeah, it's like an innocence, and like you feel so bad. <laughs> it's like they just keep saying they're sorry. But that, anyways, watching that back, I legit, I was like laughing out loud <laughs> while I was watching it. Well, that's an important part of the story, though, too, because since, well, wait, we see that. Why don't we, why don't we wait? We see the angels, right? Yeah, we see. Roger does. He yeah, wins yeah. Like, a, a lucky ticket at the end of the game where his number is read off that corresponds with his ticket. And then he goes down to get a photo with the coach. And then they're down there and, and Coach Knox, who at the time is like a total jerk. He's totally upset. He's like pissed off at the world. He treats his players like crap. And he meets Roger and Coach Knox is like talking about how incredible Matthew McConaughey's catch was. And Roger, as a child would, goes, oh, it was the Angels. Like, yeah. Oh, the Angels. They lifted him up. And then thus begins our journey. Yes. Correct. That's how they get connected together. And so he let's fast forward. He then gives these kids season tickets to go to every game because whether he believes in the angel story or whatever, I think he just views them also in a way of like they're his good luck charm. Like whatever this kid's going on and on about doesn't matter. He's here and they're winning games. So I'll try anything at this point. So the movie kind of like then just it like springs this montage on us and it just like fast forwards to them going on an insane winning streak, you know, like, so the kids there, he's flapping the angel wings to the coach. He's just giving the coach like advice. Like, Hey, I saw, I saw an angel massaging this guy's shoulders. You should put him in for, for this at bat, or you should put this pitcher in because the angel was standing by him. And then the angels are just like helping them win all these games in this montage, doing all this crazy shit. And then it's like, so after this huge montage, the movie like picks back up again, it stops and it's like, all right, they went from last place to close to first place. There's two games left. Oh shit. By the way, we should mention the number one villain in this movie is that oh. announcer? We haven't even broached the topic. I know. Uh, Let's talk about him because this guy is wild. Ranch Wilder, the in-game yeah. announcer for the California Angels, the epitome of a, a, a childhood bad guy. He's got the biggest chin in the world. He treats everyone around him like trash, and he's got it out for Coach Danny Glover. Hates him because. Hates him. Apparently they, they played with each other back in the day and this guy, like he went in for a slide, but he slid in cleats out right uh. into Danny Glover. And he thinks it was intentional. Now 
20 years later, these guys hate each other. One's an announcer, one's a coach. They're rivals. Just a classic. And again, this is probably why the movie's rated a little lower with the critics. No redeeming qualities, no layers, no onion layers on this guy. It is just all evil. Every, he eats, drinks, and sleeps, and pees evil out of his fucking wiener. Yep. There's just evil all over the place with this guy. All over the place. <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Because he, like, he doesn't want to see Coach Knox, Coach Danny Glover, get the credibility for the team doing well. Ranch Wilder. He blows. Voice of the Angels. Okay, so then we come down to the final two games. And it's like, all right, Roger, he can't go to the second to last game because he's got he's got to go to a court hearing because he's got to figure out if his piece of shit dad is gonna just say fuck you forever, son, or if he's actually gonna like stick around. And he does say, fuck you forever, son. He goes to this court hearing. He misses the second and last game. The Angels lose because Roger's not there to give him the angel dust and stuff. So what happens at that court hearing? You describe it because I know you love this dad so much. Oh, boy. So his court hearing gets moved up a few weeks. And at the court hearing, they wait for hours and hours and hours to actually get into the bench. Meanwhile, what's going on in the courtroom is the father is giving up all parental rights to him. So Roger walks into the courtroom and he's like, dad, dad, oh my gosh, the angels, they're only like two games away from winning the pennant. You remember what you said? We could become a family again. And the dad literally just like touches his head and does like the bad, like nuggy kind of thing motion. And then he just walks away and Roger's standing there in front of like the judge's bench just like, dad, did you hear me, dad? And you see him just exit the courtroom and the door shut. And you're just like, what did I just see? It's heartbreaking. So cold. And then he just kind of leans into like Maggie and she gives him this hug, but you can just see his like soul leaving his body. It's like the saddest thing. Yeah, Great dad moves. That guy sucks ass. We'll we'll get to him. He's going to be nominated for some awards at the end, but fucking worst dad of all time like just biggest piece of shit i i didn't understand it's like you care enough to like sporadically show up and like pop into your kid's life and like whatever i don't know but the mom wasn't around and i just don't know how you don't step up in that situation yeah like i don't know the dad is just a beyond piece of shit status so beyond Dude, this is where Danny Glover, Coach Danny Glover, like really puts on his badass. This is where he comes into the fold big time. Yeah. And he shows up. He doesn't even really care that they lost the game because you know what? Now he's now, like you said, he was a massive dick. This whole movie is like a hard ass. But now he's starting to care about the boys. And he shows up and he's like, hey, Roger, JP, come over here. I'm about to give you some real sweet advice. I know you're down. I know you're upset. Here's my advice. You know, Roger, when I was growing up, I never saw very much of my dad. He couldn't take care of himself. So taking care of me and my brothers was out of the question. I'm not sure the pain that caused ever goes away. But I am sure you can't go through life 
thinking everyone you meet will one day let you down. Because if you do, a very bad thing will happen. You'll end up like me. Coach Danny Glover is essentially telling him, like, dude, look, Roger, you can't do it. You can't go through life like me, like a fucking salty ass old man who's been <laughs> the age of 43 for the past 37 years. You can't, you can't do, do it. it. You can't. You you look, you know why? You know what happens when you do that, Roger boy? You turn <laughs> out like me. Like, look at this is the fucking end result, Roger. I was like, damn, dude. Coach Danny Glover, like wise words, you know, those wise. wise. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot for, I mean, just think about the day that Roger had and all of like the, the glass that was shattered, you know, and then like this person's here for him, his brother JP is in there, you know, you know, and then what happens BD? Uh, I don't know if this is where you want me to go, but his best friend JP rats out his whole angel thing to the shitty Ranch Wilder guy. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> so basically, since Roger wasn't at the game, they lose. They weren't able to leverage the angels. After the game, like the press conference, like post-game conference vibe, but then Ranch Wilder the Satan devil of this story <laughs> comes over because he hears this exchange and he takes advantage of it. He's like trying to like be really trustworthy with JP and ask him, what are you talking about with the angels? Like, you mean like actual angels or what's going on here? And totally manipulates the situation and makes, which, you know, for someone who, you know, isn't like a viewer like us, it might sound a little crazy. So he takes it yeah. to the media and they run with it, making Coach Knox seem like totally off his rocker and like not trustworthy. And the owner is less than thrilled. Okay. And this, this is this is the point where for me, it's points off at this point in the movie. And this is why as I'm watching this as an adult, I'm like, okay, I can see why the critics are starting to shit on this movie a little bit no one would just believe this five-year-old kid he's five like so you're in a city and your team has sucked forever <laughs> i'm thinking of, i'm putting myself in the shoes of with the bengals we have not won one playoff game in 30 plus years so if we went on a massive run and all of a sudden we were in first place and we're one win away from like going to the super bowl or whatever and then some story comes out about how some orphan five-year-old is is fucking spouting off about seeing angels in the stadium and it was actually angels that helped t higgins catch that td pass from joe burrow to win the game one no one would give a shit and no be happy would like, people would rally behind it if if people did care or whatever they would rally behind it and they just wouldn't care because it would be like i don't care if it's angels i don't care if joe burrow just pulled something sweet out of some rabbit TD pass out of his ass. <laughs> Don't care. The point is this. We're one win away from the Super Bowl. So who cares how we got here? We're here. So that was right. one. And then two, what you just said about the owner, the owner tells coach Danny Glover, like, dude, either you go and do a press conference and denounce all this angel talk. You denounce it. 
or you're fucking fired. Yeah, at this point of the season. Yeah, one win away from winning the pennant after this coach has just like pulled this team from last place. And here's the other thing. This coach, early in the movie, he's doing an interview with Ranch Wilder on film, on camera. He punches Ranch Wilder out. He punches this reporter and knocks him out. So you're (laughs) telling me this owner is only going to fine Danny Glover $5,000 for punching this guy out and knocking him out on camera. Yet, when you're one win away at the end of the year from winning the pennant, you're going to now actually fire him unless he denounces this five-year-old orphan story that angels are helping you win. Take it back. (laughs) What the fuck? So ridiculous. So, you know, I think that, you know, we needed a villain. We got our villain. It's not the most digestible of storylines, but <laughs> it leads us to, you know, the point in the story where we need to be. So it takes us to the press conference. The press conference. Coach yeah. is struggling because he's kind of had like a, a bad career streak, but he's so close and he's starting to care about the boys. And now he basically has to either read this like scripted apology that he doesn't believe in. And he's also worried that's going to upset the angels and they're going to go away, which is a risk. And it's just like all of it. People are starting to get like an ethics code. So he's at the press conference. He goes into full politician mode, by the way, at this press conference. I actually let's play the clip of what coach Danny Glover says at this press conference because it's amazing. You know, there are a lot of times in sports when there's no logical explanation. Sometimes a player gets hot and goes beyond their physical ability. Is it just adrenaline? I don't know. But I do believe there are times in life where something stronger, higher, or maybe spiritual is with us. I can't explain it, but something has happened to my players this year. Something that's changed the way they play and the way I manage. You can call it faith. You can call it angels. You can call it whatever you want. That's all I have to say. Essentially, here's what he does. Look, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's fucking angels. I don't know what it it could be. It doesn't matter. You wouldn't rip on these people because it's just faith. So it doesn't matter. It's, It's what they believe in. So why does it matter? If it helps them, then it helps them. And he kind of turns it into that versus are there actual tangible angels flying around? He's like, I'm not even talking about that. That's obviously insane to talk about. But whatever helps someone faith wise. Who cares? Exactly. So we know that there are angels, but it does help him, you know, win over the crowd of adults. Um, <laughs> and it, it helps him for where all of our players who, you know, have had this redeeming season one by one with Tony Danza leading the pack. Stands yeah. up and I won't play for anyone except for coach Danny Glover. This is like that beautiful sports moment that we all love, yeah. you know, you're my coach. Let's do this. And then, you know, the uh, misguided owner retracts his statement. He yeah. 
confirms that Coach Danny Glover is going to be our guy. Yeah. So final game. It all works out. They go to the final game. Mel Clark, a.k.a. Tony Danza, is going to start that final game. Everyone's saying he's washed. Doesn't matter. He's going to start it. Everyone's believing in him. This is for all the fucking baseball marbles. They go in. Roger gets a visit from boss angel Chris Lloyd. And this is where we have the most insanely out of place. I don't know why this is in the story (laughs) moment where he's like, hey, Roger, cool stuff that you've done with the team. Awesome that our angels have like totally put everything on the back burner. Look, it's 1994. OJ Simpson's out there like killing people and stuff. Chris Lloyd doesn't care. His angels are all just about the angels winning the pennant race that year. It doesn't care about murders or anything. So he's like, dude, cool. So by the way, sorry, Roger, eight-year-old kid who is just like had his life shattered with his dad leaving him and everything. You finally got a glimmer of hope here in this pennant race. But guess what? Your favorite player, Mel, who's starting this game. Become close with. (laughs) He's going to die in six months. In six months. (laughs) Jesus. Fuck. Okay. That that took me out of it. Like that took me out of the movie. That was so irrelevant. It was like, why was that necessary in the plot of this movie? I don't know. Maybe there's a few angles. Maybe it was to show like we need to believe in him. It's important that he has this crowning moment and wins the game. Also, note the the thing that Al lead angel Chris Lloyd says to Roger when he gets to the dugout initially at this final game is, hey, side note, angels don't help during the championship game. Oh, yeah. You get yes, you all thanks. the way here, <laughs> but you have to actually win the game, which I kind of respect. Kind of, I mean, I, I don't I mean, want to call yeah. it cheating. It's more like miracles, you know? So miracles all the way up to here, but now you have to actually win. Well, so, it's just funny where Chris Lloyd, where angel Chris Lloyd, like he sets the line on like, look, I'll help you cheat all the way up to the championship game. But from like a moral line crossing guideline perspective, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cross the championship line. I'm not. You got to do this one on your own. (laughs) You got to do this one on your own. But also after I dropped that bomb on you to, you know, take away the one life safeguard that you had for your hope of winning the pennant on top of that, this guy's going to die in six months. Because he's it's a fucked up. It's so fucked up. It, it was so unnecessary. It was unnecessary. Okay. So I mean, it was a bit poetic though, because you knew that this was his last chance for Tony Danza, Mel Clark to have his redeeming moment after a 10 year yeah. drought. Yeah. This is Pressure redemption. Is Pressure is on. Games going back and forth. Mel's out there. He's not getting any angel help. I think they're down like two to one or something going into like the later innings and like ranch wilder on the mic, just bringing the mood down, being such a critic, just energy flooding through the system of the, you know, the baseball arena. Yeah. 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 And the thing is though, is because this whole movie is about like, you just got to believe and you just got to have some sort of faith in something and you got to believe in something. The whole team kind of galvanizes around Mel Clark and he's actually having a horrendous game. I mean, this guy's pitching like an idiot. They're hitting everything, but 
the team around him is like believing so much in the in their in their home stadium and they're just they have all the momentum and yeah. so the team is just like crushing it so they go into these final innings let's start playing little inspirational music in the background while we describe this you got an angel with you right now just got here and he's going to help they're down 2-1 mel clark is gassed this guy is sweating profusely he's coughing as well because the cancer because of the cancer He's coughing more now than he ever has. Kid sees an angel? Yeah, he must. That's the signal. It's a fucking angel, and then they show Roger with that inspirational music, and he starts doing the angel wings, and then everyone in the stadium does it. Michelle, if you could see the video right now, she's doing the angel wings herself. I'm bringing the vibe. Thanks. It was so beautiful. It crescendos when he throws the pitch. It's still a garbage pitch. The guy gets a hold of it, but it's a pop-up. Mel, he all heart. He dives off the, the mound, catches the ball, game uh-huh. over, wins the pennant for the angels. Five months and 27 days before he meets the demise at the end of his days. Exactly. I mean, it's just a beautiful sports moment. There's nothing like a full count, like the pressure like that during the right before you can win the pennant. You know, everyone rushes to the field, people on shoulders, the kids are there. I mean, it's just a happy moment. Like they did it, they won. No cheating with the angels. You know, it's just like, it's exactly what we wanted. Oh, and then what happens to Ranch Wilder, BV? Oh, yeah. Another wild moment in the movie where they win it all. Everyone's freaking out. And then the owner just storms into the press box and he's like, hey, bitch, you're out of here. You're fired. (laughs) I mean, Ranch Wilder was naysaying while everyone's doing the beautiful, iconic angel wings vibe that kind of takes over the arena like a wave would and he's the only one in the entire arena that's being a jerk so like yeah. the owner turns off the sound in his suite and then he's like you're out of here and he goes you can't fire me i have a contract and it's like okay now ranch wilder see a movie ends well not totally because coach danny glover shows up to the boys place with the homeless pigeon lady and he's like, hey, Maggie, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are real. You might be an angel. You might be a homeless pigeon lady, but we are here for it either way. Either way, if if you can just swipe a little angel signature here on the dotted line, because I am going to become the new parents of both Roger and JP. Coach, Coach Danny Glover adopts the fuck out of Roger and JP. They go on to have like a totally diverse, awesome family dynamic for the rest of their Beautiful lives. Beautiful family. JP doesn't have to sacrifice his brother and vice versa. They could stay together. They bonded over this beautiful moment. Coach Danny Glover is a good person now. 
thanks to this life altering experience, they all kind of save each other in their own way. And, you know, the whole movie was built on this premise of Roger making this prayer of uh, if they, I want them to win the pennant. So I get my family back together and it did come to fruition. They did win the pennant and he didn't get the original family that he thought, but he did end up with a family that he wanted, which is coach Danny Glover and JP. I mean, it really is beautiful. I mean, it's and so we got a nice like group hug montage there. We've got Maggie, aka Pigeon Lady, aka Foster Mom, in the back. You know, just being like, my work here is done, and we all get to just sail off into the sunset, be happy. Yep, it's a great ending. Great ending to this movie. Um, okay, we transition into. Let's now transition into awards. We kick it off with the top award on this podcast which is the ryan Philippi practice hero award it's easy to sum it up we just talk about practice we sitting here we're in here talking about practice we're talking about practice not a game not a game not a game we're talking about practice we're talking about practice man practice i mean how silly is that this award just for your knowledge is the award for the guy or girl who is just doing the most think of that guy at practice who's picking you up full court and you're just like dude guy it's not a game dude like just drop drop (laughs) the intensity down like 27 percent it's practice why are you trying to do this and it's just to look like a hero in front of the coach so i've got four (laughs) it wasn't hard (laughs) okay one i have roger's dad on here first and my rationale is not because of how he's a villain not because how he's evil and all that it's specifically i think he was just doing way too much from like a 90s biker badass perspective and the thing that put it over the top for me was when he put his his own cigarette out on his own pair of jean pants so it's the definition of doing too much so i had him i had ranch wilder this guy on a whole different level in terms of doing too much we've already talked about him a lot number three this guy's real small miguel the foster kid who lives with jp oh the brother oh no yeah let me just play one quick clip of him so you can get a sense of why I think he was doing a little too much. I want to go to the game they could win. It could happen. Yeah, you can drop dead after dinner. Food poisoning. Leave him alone, boys. Why we got to sleep in these sleeping bags? I haven't peed the bed in a long time. You peed the bed last week. And she makes us sleep in these sleeping bags because she's too old to bend over and tuck in sheets. You're too old. She's got a lot to do. Did you guys pray? I pray every night you go to bed without bugging us with a thousand stupid questions. He's just doing a lot. And also, this kid was like 11 and he had a full mustache. Yeah, that's definitely too much. It's a lot. And then my fourth and final guy is David Montaigne, the the administrative assistant of public (laughs) relations. Yeah, I mean, he was a little extra. He was leaning in too hard to his role, like do less. So 
do you have an extra person outside of those four or do you just want to actually go ahead before i reveal my practice hero i just wanted to just float this out there that the first party i go to post covid i kind of want to put a cigarette out on my jeans just to see if there's a reaction you know because it'll be like a social experiment in a way we'll see (laughs) like like you've gone so crazy in quarantine that now post quarantine you're just doing psychotic things like putting cigarettes out indoors on your yeah, own are you pants? smoking cigarettes indoors. I mean, I for the record, I don't smoke cigarettes. I mean, and then to have the audacity to smoke a cigarette inside someone's home in this <laughs> day and age, and then put it out on your own jeans. God, this like lady's lost it. <laughs> I'll, I'll report back. Okay, so who's your other guy? Okay, so my my winner would be the angels themselves, meaning the CGI. Because I feel that all of the like angels that ascend and then help the players are overacting. They're far too large. I feel than like an actual angel would be. And I just, I just feel like they're, they're just really being too comical and not actually like athletic enough. So I feel that the angels are the practice heroes. It's interesting. Yeah. Because are we saying that like, if you die and become an angel, like you automatically just grow like 20%. <laughs> like if you were five ten, you become an angel and then all of a sudden you're six, six. Yeah. And you're an overly, overly acting like with your body, like a body comedian, but just yeah. with my- yeah. And a lot of like facial expressions, because here's the thing is, I, I think it's mainly because they can't speak. So like the director is having these fake CGI angels just do all of the acting like with their bodies and facial expressions and stuff. So, yeah, it's just a whole lot of like overdone. Every mannerism is exaggerated. It was a little much for my taste. I, th- I thought they should do less. Okay, so you're going to give it to the angels. I kind of still want to give it to the administrative assistant for media relations, David Montaigne, because I thought he was doing the most, but he also (laughs) just made me laugh the most too. Yeah, this was a tough one to pick because most of our practice heroes or people who are candidates did have a lot of redeeming qualities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it it was all the main characters... They're not in there. All those characters we mentioned were kind of side characters. Okay, picking nits section. I think we've actually covered a lot of these. Um, the one I had was, or the one big one I had was Tony Danza smoking cigarettes as a professional athlete in the locker room post game. It just didn't ring true for me in the 90s. Second one we also covered, George Knox, the manager of a baseball team on camera in an interview punching out a journalist would be way more than a $5,000 fine. He would have been fired immediately. That was another nit to pick. And then my third one, and I don't know how familiar you are with baseball pitching mechanics, but (laughs) the throwing motion of Mel Clark and some of these other baseball players was an abomination. Like (laughs) he throws a baseball like I would throw a baseball if I had never thrown one before and then was throwing it with my off hand with my left hand 
that's what his throwing motion looks like. <laughs> so it was very believable. <laughs> essentially. Did you note, know, did it stick out to you on, wow, this guy looks like he's never thrown a baseball before, or as a non-baseball lover growing up, you just didn't even notice? Well, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm a non-baseball lover because BD, I did play slow pitch softball until eighth grade. Okay. So, so you I know, know a you thing know or thing two or two. about a thing or two. Yeah. Now, if you know this much, why did you not notice how fucked up his mechanics were? Because I resigned whenever we had to move to fast pitch. So how would I know? Okay. I got it. So you, you only would know if the mechanics were off, if it was slow pitch softball. Yes. And I would pick it up immediately. Okay. Okay. Immediately. Do you want to hear my net? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I feel that throughout this entire journey with the angels in the outfield, I have been a champion for Maggie pigeon lady, homeless lady. I think that the kids would probably agree with our You're in her corner. I'm in her corner. <laughs> However, if you are fostering orphan children and one of them being about the age of five and you're just letting them go to these games with these men that you don't really understand what they are intending with these kids and their kids are like just spending so much time and you like don't even care like you're not like a part of it. Like I felt like that was a little hard to like believe. I just feel like she would maybe have like a couple more questions. Um, right kind of I just feel like you know we we watch these genres of kids that are like have a ton of freedom like Goonies the kids Stranger Things like I I recognize that that was more of like a parenting like vibe or like just style that isn't as common these days where it's like a lot more like helicopter parents and stuff like that but uh that just seemed like a little much to me because like I don't know, like going to like Dodgers games or going to Reds games or going anywhere. Like it's just chaos and you just expect it. I don't know. It just, it felt a little hard for me to believe, but I recognize it was necessary and I'm, I'm looking too into it. It's easier for me to believe that angels would come down from the heavens and take care of this team Yeah. versus like someone just letting kids have freedom. Well, it's funny how much like what you can suspend your disbelief on in like these fantasy movies and what you can't suspend your disbelief on. Cause in all my picking nits, not one of them was centered around the fact that there's CGI angels floating around, helping these like baseball players win baseball games that didn't even cross my mind, but, but yeah, so we're going to pick some nits on just the overall parenting parental influences in this movie weak across the board across the board i think that we are happy though with where we netted out bad parent out of the picture coach danny glover stepping in as our new dad and we're we're okay i'll take it i'm good yeah i'm good with the end game but it, it we definitely had to go through like some troubled waters to get to that final end result but okay second to last award mcitw i have my worst character in this entire movie. Do you have one or do you want me to just rattle off mine? I would have to say uh, Ranch Wilder. I mean, he's he's a clear is the worst though because he's like the villain. He's over the top. He's a total jerk. He's a naysayer. He's manipulating a little kid who's like five, who's an orphan. <laughs> he's living in a car. I mean, he's just like the worst, but I don't know. Maybe my definition of the worst is different than maybe yours. 
So my mine, I'm not going straight villain. If I was going just who's the biggest villain in this movie, yeah, Ranch Wilder, or maybe even the owner would be, you know, the worst villains of this movie. But my definition, I'm just going solely on like who disgusts me at like a visceral level the most. So I don't even really use a lot of analytics on this. It's mostly just who am I so disgusted by every time they're on the screen. So it's (laughs) named the MCITW after Marissa Cooper, who is the poster child for disgusting the fuck out of me. And this is the award that's sponsored by our big time sponsors on this podcast, Michelle M. This award is sponsored by Wicklowware. That's W-I-C-K-L-O-W-Ware. Be free and explore. Get all your outdoor gear at Wicklowware.com. Type in the promo code VL at checkout kits. Get 10% off of your entire order. We have swag on Instagram. Slide into our DMs for all of our swag situations. We have baseball tees. Perfect for this movie. T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts. We have it all. Okay. My MCITW winner. You remember that guy who's like on the baseball team? His name is Whit Bass. <laughs> no, you're talking about he's like he's like real life dopey from Snow White, but he is like on the team. Look, I know it's a kids movie, but <laughs> the, the the things that this guy says, like he's too dumb to function like in society. I it just bothers me whenever they do this in kids movies where they make someone who's so dumb that it's, it's like so egregious that I can't even believe him as a human being. Like how, <laughs> how do you exist as a human being? He's like a real life, like dumb and dumber guy, you know, he has his eyes crossed constantly, like chokes on his own food and his own gum. Like he's just like, has no sense of what's going on around him at any moment. I'm going to play a quick clip of just something he's said in this movie. I don't even know which one. Here it is. Will I win? Will I win? Will I win? 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 Oh. Yeah. Jose, can't you see? Wait a second. The first word is Jose? I thought it was Jose. We know. Wow. It's about a Spanish guy. Oh, Jose, can you see? I don't believe it, man. It's so easy. Whit Bass takes the mound with his trademark slide. His oddball antics are by now well known to the fans. That's right, Ranch. This season alone, we've seen him lick dirt, eat bugs, and floss his catcher's teeth in the dugout. I'm not even sure this guy can, like, wipe his own ass. Like, (laughs) if he sits down on the toilet and poops, does he even know, like, okay, at this point now I wipe? I don't know. These are all really good questions. I mean... That's probably what set Coach Knox over the edge in the first place because he had to deal with this guy all the time. Yeah, this guy who I I don't think his I, I there's no way his IQ is over like a 26, which again I just I don't know how he's a fully functioning adult and how he doesn't like need assistance on a day to day basis to just live life. But either way, McConaughey needs to set this guy down, <laughs> give him a few pointers, and see what happens. So, Whit Bass, you guy are the MCITW winner. Be free and explore brought to you by Wicklowware. Okay, last award, MVP of this movie. I'll just kick it over to you. I think that the MVP of this movie is going to have to be <laughs> Roger. Okay. He's the most dynamic character. Without him, we wouldn't even have the story. 
He continues to be our hero, even though he lost his mother and his father. He's a good big brother to JP. He sees the angels. He wished, he prayed for the angels. Without him, we would all just be sitting here talking about how much we hate Wit or whatever his name was. Wit Bass. So, yeah, Wit Bass. So he, he brings us all to life. And I think he, he single-handedly restores everyone's faith in humanity, right? Yeah. And, and just to note, I don't think we'll ever do a JGL movie where you don't give the MVP to JGL. I mean, he deserves it. I think we could tell from a young age, like we said at the beginning, this kid had it. The only other guy I honestly had in consideration for who I think just won the movie to me was... Tony Danza, Mel Clark. I just, well, I, I mean, I minus the smoking, though. Yeah. I mean, obviously. And if you're going to smoke, you have to put your cigarette out on your jean. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe had he put his cigarettes out post game while he was sitting in that hot tub, had he put his jeans on in that hot tub and put the cigarette out on his jeans, he would have won MVPs from you. I mean, is that too much to ask? No. I think, look. look Great. I love it because I think the biggest learning that I've taken from this movie is first party post quarantine out of you is you will be smoking cigarettes for the first time in your life and you will be putting them out on your jean pants in front of people. And I'll be doing it indoor inside at someone else's house at someone else's house. And I will let you guys know how it goes. So whoever wants to have us over after we're, you know, vaccinated, just let me know. Yeah. Watch out everyone. (laughs) All right, Michelle M. That wraps us up. Are you good? You I'm cover good. it all. What a pleasure to be on Vicarious Living. Love coming on the pod. Thanks for being such a great host. Hey, no problem. We're just gonna have to figure out that next JGL movie that you're gonna come on for, you know, knowing that you can't do anything else. We just gotta figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of Chris Nolan movies that we could dabble with. We're going to see a lot of uh, JGL in those, but that might be off brand. Yeah, we'll just have to find another teen movie that he was in. I'm sure there is one out there. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Brick, but I've heard Brick is like really good JGL, like his first movie, late teens or like early 20s. And it's like a small independent film. And uh, yeah, I heard he's just unreal in it. Well, I saw him in Fifty Fifty, but that was a long time ago. That movie oh, didn't that get a lot of uh, fucked up. It's, I can't watch. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah. Anyways, well, we're gonna tell those kids. Kids, time for you to tuck on in. Have a really good night's sleep. You tuck on in. You stay warm tonight, kids. As you're sleeping tight, and we're gonna tell those kids, Michelle, to do what? Clear eyes, full hearts. Do, do less. less, kids. Goodbye. You can follow us on Instagram at Vicarious Living Podcast and listen to all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You know you found us when you find a picture of Pat and I sitting on a couple rocks overlooking the vast landscape that is Laguna Beach. Steven's there, just not pictured. Steven and Elsie, both there, just not pictured.